0: Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. This season, we are posting the recordings from our HBG Bible Talks event in 2021 with Brother Ben Hall of Brooklyn, New York, titled Continuing the Kingdom, Lessons from the Book of Acts. It's an amazing privilege that we have and a a calling that should change everything about our lives. To be followers of Jesus, to be members of his kingdom, to be co-heirs with him, to reign with him. It's an amazing thought. And Obviously, for us, whenever we read the story of Jesus, we just think, why would anybody not want this? He's honest. He's fair. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He gives of himself for the good of others. And... That's what his kingdom's all about. And all of that, not just in some sort of temporary earthbound sort of benefit, but it leads toward life forever. That's what he said. Eternal life. That's what he came for. What's the downside here? I mean, there are some some hard harder parts about being a follower of Jesus, but what's the downside? What's in the trade-off? But of course you know, while he was on earth it was a story of opposition. I mean, frankly, most of the stories we know of Jesus' honesty or his fairness or his compassion or whatever are in the context of people accusing him of working for the devil or being a nobody, or whatever, all this unfair, wrong stuff that people are saying about him all the time. That's what Jesus is up against. And that's because the scriptures teach that this world is not really the way it ought to be. First John chapter 5 and verse 19 says we know that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 the Apostle Paul said that the God of this world has blinded the minds of people in this world to reject the gospel in other words we're living in enemy territory occupied territory we're an invading force we're not the celebrated heroes who've come home in victory we're The enemy, actually, in this world. And what we're trying to do is be a part of God's rescue mission to bring people out of darkness and into light, to rescue people from the evil one who's enslaved them and captivated them like child soldiers who get their brains washed to be something they were never meant to be and never wanted to be, but totally get transformed in all these horrible ways. We all have given ourselves over to that and allowed ourselves to be brainwashed by the evil one and turned into something evil. And God's trying to bring us back. But along the way, we don't need to lose sight of the fact that we are in a battle. It's a war zone out here. That's why in the book of Acts, when these wonderful people who were selling their property to give to those who are in need and were just listening to the people who Jesus told to tell his truth and they were breaking their bread and doing all these things, that they were constantly going through problems. And not problems that they themselves created necessarily, although we'll see a little bit of that, but it was just hard. It wasn't this, the kingdom of Jesus doesn't mean everything's easy, nothing's easy, and we've got to keep on going some way, somehow, and that is the call, to persevere, to not say, wow, this is hard. I thought being in the kingdom was going to be cool and fun, and we were going to be winners, but being in the kingdom is hard, so I don't think it's going right. No, if it's hard, that actually means you're in the right spot. You just need to Keep on going. And we do learn some really valuable lessons about how to persevere through problems as followers of Jesus, as members of his kingdom. As we continue the kingdom work that Jesus began in his doing and his teaching, as we continue with him in that, we've got to learn to persevere through problems. So I'd like to look at a few problems that the, the early church faced, a few categories of problems, if that's a fair way to say it, and then try to, uh, us to spend some time thinking about lessons we can learn for how to persevere, how to keep on going. Acts chapter three opens with a story of Peter and uh, John going to pray at the hour of prayer, uh, presumably to meet the the rest of the brethren there, perhaps at the temple. And there was a man there who had been ill and he had been well known there to be a a lame man. And uh, he was asking for alms. And Peter says, well, I don't I don't have any money to give you silver and gold. I don't have any But what I do have. I'll give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The man did miraculously, not only started walking, but he started jumping, leaping around, praising God. And all the people knew about this guy because he had been there all the time at this popular gate where people were passing in and out. So they knew, hey, isn't that the guy? No, I can't be him. Yeah, that's him. I've given him lots and I've heard him talk. We've got God. Con- that's him. And uh, that was sort of a, a launching pad for not sort of was a launching pad for Peter to say, hey, don't be impressed with us we got this through jesus and he preached the gospel of jesus in uh acts chapter 3. interesting thing to note the way he begins and ends that sermon is referencing jesus as the servant that god sent to um, accomplish his purposes well lots of people were believing you see at the beginning of acts chapter 4 after we'd already seen thousands baptized in acts 2 uh acts chapter 4 and verse 1 after this amazing moment in the temple um enemy territory we'll get more to than a second says they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard. And the Sadducees came up to them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So they throw them in jail and they basically put them on trial for what they did which is a funny thing. And you have to imagine later, whenever any of these guys went home to their wives, like, oh, what'd you do today, honey? Well, we arrested some guys. Oh, that sounds pretty dramatic. At the temple? Again, there were some people causing trouble. I know, I know. What'd they do? You know that guy that's laying at the gate? <laughs> Weird conversation, right? <laughs> anyway, they gathered together, and uh, verse 7, they placed Peter and John in the center of the court. Can I just add, by the way, think about where we were just a second ago. Remember in Daniel 7, the scene was a courtroom scene. So God is the judge. Jesus, the son of man, is kind of the one ruling this. Here's another court. And whenever we read this and wonder how they responded the way they responded, Peter and John, I think it's because they knew this court was pretty irrelevant compared to the court whose judge had fire flowing out of it, right? The people this irrelevant court said, by what power or in what name have you done this? Dumb question. We did literally a whole sermon explaining that just yesterday. And you guys, I know, know about that. But anyway, it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief. And there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Peace. Told him what it was. No apologies. No, like, hey, can we work this out? Just, yeah, you want to know what's going on? We healed him in the name of Jesus. By the way, y'all killed him, and he's the one that God set up to be the one that everything's supposed to be built on. Verse 13, as they observed the confidence, the boldness of Peter and John, and they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were just bumpkins from Galilee. They were amazed, and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. There's not a better compliment that you could ever get from friend or foe than having been recognized as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed with them standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it, but so that it will not spread any further among the people, let, let's warn them not to speak any longer to any man in this name. So they summoned them and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. This wouldn't be the last time that this would happen. But here's the first category of problems that God's people would face. Um, Attacks. Attacks against their character. uh, Literal attacks, grabbing them, throwing them into prison. Attacks like in chapter five, they would actually get beaten, beaten. Just imagine that happening. And actually, some of you, you don't have to imagine it. It may not be as dramatic as getting arrested. Some of you know, if you're serious about following Jesus, you're going to get attacked. People are going to say bad things about you. And actually, sometimes we think that's not real persecution, though. Like real persecution, you get beat up, thrown in prison, stuff like that. And us, you know, in our culture, we don't have real persecution. I don't know. Go read the book of 1 Peter. You know what Peter talked about of the attacks that Christians were going to face? People talking bad about you. So actually, I think if we were sitting around with some of the early Christians, we're like, "Yeah, we don't get persecuted like you guys did back then." You'd be like, "What are you talking about, dude? All of us weren't getting arrested. I mean, some of us were for sure, and some of us were getting killed. And yeah, y'all don't haven't had to do that as of now. Maybe you will. I don't know what'll happen to y'all. But honestly, the hard stuff was my mom saying, "Why do you hate us so much? Why do you hate us? You started following that Jesus, and you don't come." With the family to the temple anymore you don't do that stuff like why do you hate us so much that's what's hard for me that kind of attack or having people not want me to work in the capacity i was working or the advancement i would have advanced in jerusalem because i wasn't a part of the circumcision party the sabbath crowd i wasn't doing all that, that was hard i was under attack for my faith That's what happened to the early Jesus followers. That was a big problem for them. It would happen again in Acts chapter 5, where the apostles, not just Peter and John, but they all would get arrested uh, and thrown into into prison. That's what God's people are going to face attacks. We're going to circle back in a minute here, but let's just leave that one for a second. Uh, There are other problems that God's people face, though. Look at the beginning of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. After these attacks and after they just went on with their business, more on that in a minute, they persevered, we should say. Um, They ran into another problem. Verse one of Acts five, a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. People were doing that. Matter of fact, the end of Acts four told about a man named Joseph, who was also called Barnabas, who sold a large piece of land, gave it all. And here Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property, but they kept back some of the price. For himself with his wife's full knowledge, and he brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. See what's going on with Ananias? Uh, certainly, maybe it's fair to say he's greedy, although I don't know that Peter would uh, accuse him of monetary greed. Maybe he wasn't given as much as others. Maybe a good reason not to. Maybe he had an old mom. And he, I don't know what the deal was. But the thing he was greedy for, apparently, was the approval of his brethren. They, ooh, Ananias sold property, too, and he gave all of it. That's amazing. That Ananias, great guy, loves the Lord, loves the brethren. He wanted that approval, apparently, presumably, from why else would he lie about it like this? But he does keep back, try to portray himself in a different way, and in doing so, tries to lie to God. Certainly lies to his brethren. As a result of this, uh, verse 5, as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now, there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me, whether you sold the land for such and such a price? And she said, yeah, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you've agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well and immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came over all the whole whole church and over all who heard of these things. The second obstacle, the second problem that God's people faced early in the book of Acts wasn't just attacks from the outside, but corruption from within. Here, these are people who are part of this church. I mean, they're called out by name they were known to some degree at least how would that have been if you had been in the church and you heard about this they what they lied to us they thought we were family I mean, we're, we're all working together here and why would we would understand that they would maybe they needed to keep some of it. it's fine why did they feel that is anybody else lying is anybody else lying about what's going on in their personal life and what's What's happening here? And was this all real anyways? Because I thought Ananias was great. Like he seemed so godly and so far. I was at their house. We had a ladies prayer meeting there when a Bible study one time. I don't understand. It would be pretty jarring. I'll say it better. It is pretty jarring when you find corruption among God's people. You had that happen? Somebody that you really admired. Somebody that you trusted. Somebody that you thought of in a certain manner. They weren't all that that they portrayed themselves to be, or that you perceive them to be. That's tough. And you guys know a lot of times what happens is some people say that person can't be a Christian. There's no hope for me. Or if this is what Christians are really like, I don't want any part of this anyways. I'm out. Corruption. That's another problem that God's people face. It's tough. So attacks is one problem. Corruption is another. Things carried on. As I said, the second half of chapter five covers another one of the attacks. We're not going to read that. It's very similar to the one in chapter four. You can read that one, but just for sake of time, we'll pass over. it. But let's see another problem that the Christians were facing. Look at chapter six. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles after praying, They laid their hands on them. What's the problem here that the church faced? May seem a little less dramatic and thrown in prison and less discouraging than having some people as corrupt and dead as Ananias' fireworks in the the last story. But what's the problem here? It says in verse one, there was a complaint of one ethnic group of the church against another ethnic group. We might say another way, one uh, economic class against another economic class in the congregation. We could even say it another way. One um, social class, marital, marriage wise, uh, marriage status wise against another class of the rest of the people. Right? Um, Does this ever happen in social groups? People have something bad happening and then they have a complaint against the others. What's interesting is there's not a real clear as far as I can tell, there's not a real clear statement over uh, how much this was happening if it was legitimately happening, or um, the purpose for it. You know, one easy way to read this is, aha, the Hebrew Christians were saying, hey, we're helping our Hebrew women, those Greek-speaking women, don't care about them, not interested. That could be what they were doing, is they were purposely saying, we're not helping out those ladies because they talk weird. That could be it. It could be that because they had language differences and cultural differences, they just weren't as close, and so those women weren't as able to be as open or eager to say we need help over here because they didn't know if they would be accepted or whatever. And those people didn't think to ask because they just weren't as naturally close. That may be what it was. It may have just been there were thousands of people and there were some people that got overlooked and it may have been there were Hebrew and Greek speaking women, but only the Hebrew, uh, but the Greek speaking women were like, Hey, I think it's all of us. You get what I'm saying. I don't know how it went down, but I know trouble was brewing. And it does a lot of times among God's people division over whatever. Ethnicity, economics, uh, social interests in our culture, particularly political affiliations, interests, personalities. You I mean, you run down the list. There's all kinds of things. They'll say, hey, wait a second. I think I'm a part of this group that's getting in some way mistreated. And by the way, may actually be getting mistreated. That does happen sometimes on purpose, sometimes inadvertently, because we're not all knowing, all being beings. And so we mess up on this stuff. This could have gotten super bad. Matter of fact, it appears from the it doesn't appear. The Apostle Paul addressed this in a number of his writings, maybe most notably the book of Romans. that this stuff did become big problems in churches, almost the point where it appears that saints were saying, you know what? Maybe we just need to forget about trying to be one nation under God and just say, let's be a Jewish kingdom of God and a Greek kingdom of God. And let's forget about trying to do this thing together. Division is a major danger. And by the way, Daniel 7 didn't say anything about subgroups of the saints. It just said the saints, all those who are under the Son of Man, need to figure out how to operate together. So division is a big problem that God's people are going to face. All right, one more problem. Um, At the end of Acts chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter well, the whole of chapter 7, one of the men who was selected to address this problem, Stephen, had an opportunity, took the opportunity to be able to boldly speak about the gospel. And back to problem number one, he was attacked for it. People said things about him that were not entirely fair or accurate, though to some extent, maybe, but not in the way they thought about it. Um, he's arrested. He was brought before that irrelevant court. But while it's irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, they still had an impact. At the end of his sermon, where Stephen was incredibly direct, as everybody was when they were preaching, they weren't They weren't beating around the bush. They did say you killed him, but God raised him up. In other words, you fought against God. So they were honest. Stephen was, too. And I'd like to read with you the end of uh, his sermon and the consequence of it in Acts 7 and uh, verse 51. You men who are stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, you who received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, just like those people in Acts 2, remember from our earlier discussion. And they began gnashing their teeth at him and being full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus, the king, standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. They were a united group here. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, throwing large rocks at him with the purpose of killing him. And the witnesses, they were getting so into it that they laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen. As he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Good man. The one that the whole church said, we think the guy who will help widows, not just widows, but widows that are specifically vulnerable and being overlooked and feeling overlooked and going through that. We think the guy that could help the most is this guy, a tender man, a compassionate man, a diligent man, a responsible man, somebody that we trust. He's full of the Holy Spirit and of the faith. He's a good man, a man who was bold enough to preach the gospel and do these great things. Man, you know, in that church when people are like, hey, who really encouraged you here? You know, so many people's list. Stephen was right at the top of it. And here he is doing this great thing, preaching the gospel. Defending the honor of the Son of Man, King Jesus, and there he's out there outside the city being stoned to death, treated like a criminal. Second half of verse 1 of chapter 8 says, on that day wasn't just Stephen, on that day a great persecution. The attacks ramped up even more against all the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul, that man who had held her by his coats while they were murdering Stephen, Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. And he put them in prison. Can you try to really place yourself in the church of Jerusalem at this time? Think about the day that Stephen died, how bad that would have been. How sad everybody would be. You guys know how that is when you've lost somebody that the church really cared about. You've been in that situation where in a church or in your own family, this was a family. You lose somebody that everybody, you're always sad when someone passes, but especially some people that you all rely on and you trust in and you look to and you love so much, gone. And as if that wasn't bad enough. And we know it was horrible because it says they made loud lamentation over him. But then in the coming days and weeks, it just gets worse. Hey, brother, where's your wife? They took her in. They grabbed her. She was coming back from the market. They brought her before the court. She's in prison now. And I don't see how she's getting out. Hey, where's that family? They took off. They could feel the heat and they felt like they needed to go back to their home back in Cyprus because of what's happening here. But but they're the ones who brought me to Christ. They're like my only friends here. What do you mean they're just gone? There's a lot of heartbreak that comes with following after Jesus. After all, he was known as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So we're going to face that, too. And that's a problem when you face heartbreak, when you get messed up by all that's going on in this world ruled by the evil one. So what do you do when you face all these problems? Attacks from the outside, corruption from within and our brethren, division, either creeping up or even sometimes when it actually happens, and certainly whenever heartbreak hits. You would kind of think that the story of the kingdom would just end at Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. Doesn't that seem like a really tragic but fitting end? We tried. We went out here. We did some good, but people didn't want it. And so that's the end of the story. But it's not. It's barely even the start, honestly. Barely. And actually, every one of these stories, you would think it would be the end. Peter and John decided that they should probably cool it with all that public preaching and just be a little more respectful of the culture around them. No. Actually, besides that, um, it's not just the end of the story of the saints and the, the work that they did in continuing the kingdom honor. But actually, there was great, if we can say it this way, it's this probably a bad word to use because it's a little bit of a loaded term. But there was great success. In terms of they had many more opportunities to go tell more and more people look at verse four for instance therefore those who had been scattered from this heartbreak of losing stephen and their brethren and seeing women and men dragged off into prison and all this kind of stuff mothers and fathers killed taking all that. eight verse four therefore those who have been scattered went about preaching the word they just kept on telling people about the kingdom it didn't seem to change anything about them they just went on with their business Matter of fact, at each of the junctures back up, you probably noticed this in our readings though we didn't highlight it back up to chapter six, for instance, after the um, the issue with the second time there was an attack at the end of chapter five. Look at the beginning of chapter six, verse one. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, there were more people saying, hey, so just to be clear, all the community doesn't like you guys because y'all y'all accuse them of killing the son of man, the son of God, the King of Kings. And uh, so they're mad at you guys and they arrest you from time to time and beat you up and stuff. Also, if anybody does a real bad sin, they might get killed on the spot by God. That's your deal. Like, yeah, that's right. Okay. I would like to join. That's what's going on here. You would think all that would be over, but that wasn't at all. And then you would think the division is like, Oh, so y'all are kind of racist. Is that your thing? Well, no, Because verse 7 says the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient based The guys who were fighting for the bad guys were turning to the good side. That's what they were doing here. You back it up to the end of chapter 4. I mean, it's just over and over. All these stories that we've looked at and all these genuine challenges, really hard problems that the saints faced. It didn't slow them down one bit. It didn't stop them. It didn't mess them up. It didn't take them off course. The kingdom was continuing in spite of the attacks from the outside and the corruption of some of the people who had become members of the kingdom of Christ. And in spite of the dangers of division and in spite of the heartbreak that they were genuinely facing and would continue to face, didn't change a thing. How'd they do that? How'd they keep on going and accomplish the things that They accomplished, or maybe I say, keep going so that God would accomplish the things that he was accomplishing among them. How'd they keep on ruling with Jesus in spite of all these problems? And of course, you know why this is a relevant question for us. How do we keep on going? How do we keep on going? Because these are not ancient problems, these are human problems. Just about as ancient as the Garden of Eden, I think, just about every one of them, I think you could put in there. How do we keep on going? whenever we inevitably face these so that we can continue the kingdom work that Christ has given us to do. Well, uh, the first thing that we see a lot in the early chapters of the book of Acts, and especially in what we've read now, is continual devotion, both individually and communally, to prayer. Continual devotion, individually and communally, to prayer. Um, Let me just show you real quick. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Right after Jesus ascends, beginning in verse 12 of Acts chapter 1, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Jesus says, hey, go back to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, get ready to continue my kingdom work, get get ready. What's the thing they do to get ready? They start praying, and they keep on praying. That's what they're doing all the time. They're devoting themselves to prayer. You skip it a little further down, the next section of Acts chapter one is them selecting an apostle to replace Judas, who had abandoned his post and betrayed the Lord. And look at verse 24, how they ultimately come up with this. Now, they had been given some parameters, presumably by Jesus himself, for who would fit the bill. And there were two men who potentially could have taken this spot. But there only was one spot, and there were two men. So how are we going to go about this? Verse 24, and they prayed. They prayed. At a big decision, they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of men. Show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They prayed whenever they were up against a big decision. Whenever something was going on, you go. We already read from Acts chapter two and verse forty-two, where it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and breaking of bread and to the prayers. Acts chapter three. Remember, whenever they were uh, before they healed the man that led to the first attack. Remember what they were going for? They were going up at the hour of prayer. And then right after that story, we didn't read this, but in Acts chapter four and verse 23, after they get released from being attacked, Acts chapter four, verse 23, it says when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said, why did the nation's rage and the people's devise futile things? the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, against the kingdom. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you have anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the nations and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now Lord, take note of their threats, the threats they are making against the saints and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were, had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you see what happens? Could have been they all came back and they're like, all right, guys, we need to have a little planning meeting here. We need to have a strategy meeting about how to handle this. Sanhedrin deal where they're not going to let us preach as publicly as we want. So what's our tactics and everything? You know, I, I bet they did talk about tactics sometimes. and They probably did kick around some good ideas and less good ideas. You even see that in other parts of the book of Acts and even in the writings of the apostles that they would think about stuff. I'm not saying they didn't, but the first order of business was we need to pray. This is how we need to handle this situation. This is how we need to handle the attack. We could go on. I mean, you see it. I'm, we're going to go on. Look at chapter 6. Let me show you one more that I think is really significant. We already noted that Stephen, when he was being stoned, is praying um, over and over again. We see this throughout the book of Acts. But check this one out Acts 6. This one is is kind of mind-blowing to me. So uh, the, the division problem, right? This, uh, this issue of the Greek-speaking widows that were not being as uh, taken care of uh, as the Hebrew-speaking widows. They bring it to the apostles. And the apostles say in verse 2, it's not the best thing. For us to neglect, it says, verse uh, verse two, the word of God in order to serve tables. In other words, they're saying we were given a special job by Jesus and we've been kind of administering all these funds and stuff. But honestly, this is getting out of hand. We got to get some other people in on this so that we can do our primary work of preaching the gospel. But then notice what they say in verse four. But we will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Is that the order that yours has? Look at it. Which one is first? To prayer and to the ministry of the word. I don't think that's an accident. At least by their actions, it doesn't appear to be an accident. They understood the only way we're going to be able to continue doing anything that we're doing is our commitment to prayer over and over and over again. It's almost every chapter in the early chapters of the book of Acts where people are seen praying and God responding to that in some way. If we are going to persevere through our problems, we have to be people of prayer. And if I could just throw in a couple of practical thoughts related to prayer from the examples in the book of Acts. We need to pray um, when there's not a problem. At the beginning of Acts 1, there wasn't really a problem. I mean, sure, there was uncertainty, maybe. Jesus said, wait but it wasn't a problem. They weren't getting attacked. There wasn't any division. They were all of one accord. It actually says there was no heartbreak. I mean, I'm sure they were disappointed that Jesus was gone, but they knew that was how it was going to go. Certainly in the 40 days, Jesus would have at some point let them know, or they would have embraced that that's what it is. And it's not the end of the story, but they were praying when there wasn't a problem because you need to rely on God before there's a problem. Otherwise, when the problem comes, are you going to rely on God? If all you do your whole life is rely on other things, turn to other people and other sources of strength, then when a problem hits, You're going to at least probably initially try those things you've been relying on. Anyways, we need to be people of prayer, devoted to prayer, even when there are no problems. But then especially whenever we do run into a problem, our first resource needs to be the Lord in prayer. Whether that be us privately hitting our knees, there are many examples of that in the book of Acts, but also leaning uh, leaning on God with our brethren, working together in prayer and laboring in that way. That's a good and biblical and right thing to do. And really both of those, there's no special power that comes from private prayer, from communal prayer. It's whatever, we just pray. So when we're by ourselves and we're in trouble, we pray. When we're together and we're in trouble, let's pray. That's what we should do. We need to go to God with this stuff. He should be our first resource. We also should have our prayers guided by God's will. Did you notice in Acts 4, what would you have prayed for? You just got arrested because you helped a lame man and were preaching about Jesus. You were telling the truth. What would you pray on those people who did the bad thing to you? Or what would you pray for in the future? Lord, could you please get these guys to back off? They should know better. We're trying to do something good down here. They don't pray for that. They pray for boldness. I don't know. Maybe it's because Jesus specifically told them, hey, whenever you guys go do this, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get brought before things. So they're like, I mean, Jesus already told us this. So we're not going to pray that Jesus lied. We already know this is the deal. So we're just going to pray for boldness that we'll keep on doing what we need to do in the moment. You get know what I'm saying? Not only that, they specifically prayed scripture. They pray from Psalm 2. their their prayers were permeated with God's will. And so they said, God, we want your will to come true. Isn't that what Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let God guide your prayers. Let God guide your requests in uh, in what you're praying. I'm not saying that every prayer we pray has to be a direct quote from scripture or you can't ask for something, you're like, I don't know if there's a Bible verse that says I can ask for that. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying primarily and initially we should be praying the things that we know God has said are good. Uh, and then if you wanna add in some bonus requests, Go for it. And God may say yes. And if he says no, don't be surprised by that. He never promised it to you anyways, because prayer is not some sort of thing where we got a problem. And so now we're just going to God to fix the problem. God is the fix to the problem. And so prayer is our way of leaning on God, the true solution to all of our problems, the only rock of defense, the one who is our strength to make us persevered. James said this in the beginning of the book of James, which may have been written right around this period that we're looking at here in the book of Acts, where James said, whenever you go through trials, count it all joy. And the very next instruction he gives after how you should think of your trials and how they're actually doing something good for you, he said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, that's a weird I thought you were talking about trials, James. Why are you talking about praying for wisdom? Duh. That's what you need right now. You need to know how to navigate this thing. Go to God. We need to be people who are constantly devoted individually and communally to prayer. Second principle for how they persevered, and how we're going to keep persevering. Is maintain focus on the mission. Preaching the gospel. The work that we're here to do is to proclaim the good news that Jesus is king and his kingdom has come. And it's time for everybody everywhere to repent because he's the king of all kings and he's the Lord of all lords and all nations need to come to him. All peoples of all nations need to come to him. Do you notice in every one of these stories, that's what they're doing? I mean, right after, look right here, what we just read in uh, chapter 4 in verse 31 when they had prayed after this problem of the attacks, the place where they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they could have been like, whoa, that's cool. God's really with us. This is great. No, they began to speak the word of God with boldness. After chapter 5, even after the problem of corruption and dealing with that, where, I mean, the Holy Spirit dealt with it, uh, but Peter was dealing with it too. Peter was working with the Lord by calling out this sin of Ananias and Sapphira. They go out and they keep on preaching. You read verses 12 through 16. The apostles continue their ministry and many more believers are added to the Lord. After the persecution at the end of chapter 5, we saw at the beginning of chapter 6, there were more and more disciples being added. And then after the almost and kind of already beginning division, they go out preaching and many more priests. They were focused on the mission, even the way that the apostles handled that. Hey, listen, guys, this is a, interesting. The, the apostles didn't say this isn't a problem. This, stop it. Stop complaining. They said, OK. Look, if there's a problem. Let's deal with it. Let's fix it. But you know what? We got to make sure that we're not so busy feeding people's bellies that we forget of our real deal, which is to satisfy people's souls with the gospel and the eternal life that's found in Jesus. They maintain focus on the mission. And think about this. Um, think about a hard thing that you have to go through. At your job, dealing with things in your family, maybe even your own physical conditioning. You've changed something about your diet or you're doing some sort of exercise program. That's a problem most of the time. It's not very convenient to go on a diet or to start an exercise program or to uh, raise children to be God, whatever. All those things can be problematic uh, at times. Uh, but you keep doing them. Why? Because you've got a mission in mind. And so whatever problem may come, it's fine. I'm going to keep on doing it because I've got this mission focus. So whatever challenge may come along the way, I care so much about the mission. I love these kids so much. I want to be healthy and not die of a heart attack early if I can help it or whatever the thing is. So I've got this mission in mind, so I'm willing to deal with whatever challenges may come, sleepless nights and inconveniences and all that sort of thing. The reason why they were able to persevere through their problems is – they weren't just trying to have a happy and tranquil life unattacked by outsiders that wasn't their mission that wasn't their goal was to have a nice happy life their mission was not to have a nice comfortable everybody's friends in here church environment if so they would have said this hebrew greek thing is not working out let's have a greek deal and a hebrew deal and everybody can just be happy little families on their own No, no 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 that's not the mission is not to be happy and comfortable in our social circles or to avoid heartbreak or whatever it may be that's not the mission Staying focused on the mission helps us persevere through problems and keep on doing what the Lord wants to do, loving each other, serving each other, um, enduring persecution, uh, leaning on God and trusting in his comfort through heartbreak. If we're going to persevere through the problems we face, which will be many, Jesus said, and all of his apostles said the same thing and demonstrated themselves. If We want to persevere through problems. We've got to stay focused on the mission, preaching the gospel. Last thing I'll say about principles for how to persevere like they did. Uh, And there's certainly many more. But another thing I think is great that I think is important is there was transparent communication among the brethren, transparent communication among the brethren. Peter and John didn't look at each other and say, I don't think we should tell anybody about this. This is hard for us. Probably discouraged people too much. We got arrested. Let's just not tell anybody. Let's just go home. They went and told everybody. Maybe everybody already knew. Probably likely. I don't know. But they also, probably could have said, "What happened?" Be like, "I don't want to talk about it, guys. Let's just break bread, have dinner, you know, carry on." They openly told each other about the problem. They were pretty open and transparent about how sinful Ananias and Sapphira were, by the way. Peter could have said, "Um, "Ananias, come in here privately. I need to talk to you about this." And then, bang! And then he, no, it was open and transparent enough to where it said, "Great fear came upon all of them." Two times. By the way, if you ever thought about how it was to be those guys, I've never carried a human body, just the body into a grave. But you're the two guys who buried Ananias, which would be taxing. And then you show up a few hours later and then boom, there goes Sapphira. You're like, seriously, Peter, could you not have done both of these at the same time? Like, come on, man. We just <laughs> anyway. But there was openness and transparency in that communication about, hey, there is a sin here. It's not OK. It's not OK. And if we are going to persevere through this, there's got to be some transparency. Don't get me wrong. Every single private sentence somebody has doesn't need to be blasted out to make somebody look bad, whatever. But you know what? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says when there's rebellion going on, people refusing to repent, y'all need to deal with that as a church. There needs to be some openness and transparency about that. And, yeah, because it is discouraging. And you know what's even more discouraging is not really knowing what's going on and corruption within a church whenever there's sort of is shrouded or something that can be even more discouraging in some cases I and mean, there's lots of reasons to be discouraged but the openness and transparency allows for everybody to go and deal with whatever discouragement or whatever hardship they're facing in this uh corruption certainly the division that's another one where the apostles didn't say shh, 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 don't don't say anything about how there may be racism here if there is let's go ahead and deal with it And you know what? Everybody, we're going to own the solution together. We're not going to let this become a big deal that's going to break us apart. We're not going to become obsessed with this. We're going to keep moving forward. But okay, fine. If some people are being neglected intentionally or unintentionally, whatever, we're going to deal with it. There was open, transparent communication about how to deal with this and how to move forward. And it said there in Acts 8, maybe the best example of this. Remember what it said about the people who buried Stephen? Loud lamentation, loud lamentation. Sometimes whenever we get heartbroken, we feel like we're just supposed to keep it to ourselves. Don't get me wrong. At some point, we can't just be whiny babies all the time. We're always complaining and always like, I need everybody to look at me and I'm just manufacturing heartbreak just because I want attention. I'm not talking about that. There's real heartbreak that happens, though. And actually, in the body of Christ, you're not supposed to keep that to yourself. Otherwise, how do God's people do what Paul said we're supposed to do? Comfort one another with the comfort with which Christ has comforted us. Open and transparent communication is critical because you know what happens is sometimes people do harbor their heartbreaks and they don't ever get any help. And then they start thinking, why is nobody helping me? Why is nobody helping me? Because you never told us you needed it. And then I think, well, you know what? They don't want to help me because they don't care about me like they care about those people. I'm in this other group, maybe a group all by myself and I'm divided from the rest of this group. And then things are not only happening inside my heartbreak, but then those attacks come again. And then I say, you know what? What's the point? I'm out of here. And I'm not able to persevere because I wasn't open and transparent in my communication with my brethren. You see the point? It's so important that we talk about the problems we face. And these are just four. Certainly, you could probably think of many more categories, many other types of problems that we face as God's people. But I love these stories early on in the book of Acts because of what it shows me is, one, We will face trouble. Jesus said so. And here's living proof of it. We will face trouble. So don't be surprised when it comes Two, troubles do not have to defeat us. Matter of fact, they barely have to slow us down. Look at what happens right here with these people. And of course, we know that even before these people, because the greatest problem any person has ever faced is death itself. And that barely slowed Jesus down and he came back. And so the same will be true for us if we'll do What the followers of Jesus did will be people who are constantly devoted to prayer, maintaining our focus on the mission and openly, transparently talking about the challenges we face to be able to be helped, which may not be as nice as we always wanted to. Because when there's corruption in me, that means you got to call me to repentance. Whenever it's time for me to move on from my heartbreak, I've got to listen to you and be open to that when you transparently tell me, hey, it's time to move forward, you know. Whenever I'm under attack and I'm like, I don't understand this. And you tell me, Hey, that's Jesus said, it's going to be this way. You get what I'm saying? This is how we persevere together. It's one nation under the rule of King Jesus working together to continue his kingdom, not being defeated by our problems, but always persevering. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven. Thank you for these stories that you've recorded for us in your word that give us courage and give us perspective and make us know how we can keep moving forward we do know as you've said that the world we live in is ruled by the evil one we pray that you give us strength and courage wisdom and love for you for our brethren and for our enemies for our neighbors for those who are lost so that we'll keep on going and not be defeated We know that through Jesus, we can overcome, even as he has overcome. And we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit more and more each day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope this lesson was helpful to you. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review that will help us reach more people. If you're interested in online Bible studies, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949 or capitalcitychristians at gmail.com, or for more information or group studies, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.